Janina. Hi, Emma. Happy 2021. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I guess welcome to 2021. It's just as bad as it always was. Yep. Yep. It's, uh, you know, living is a curse. Existence is a horror. Yeah. The other way around. I think that actually goes the other way around and I can't remember where it's from, but everything is on fire. <laughs> everything is on fire, but it's all right because we're here to talk about horrible things from the past to show that time yeah. is always rubbish. <laughs> Human existence has always been a bin fire. <laughs> right, that's the end of today's episode. <laughs> Great. Um, we uh, we've taken a really long time, and we're very sorry about that. We actually recorded this episode like like a month ago, six weeks ago, a month ago. Yeah. Uh, but my laptop had a hissy fit, and I lost the entire recording and then um then was Emma December. was working in a bookshop at Christmas and also got tonsillitis so um we didn't re-record until now yeah we thought we were being so good as well like um we were doing we we're recording ahead of time like well ahead of time so that we could say oh we've got one for December and then your laptop was like nah mate <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so sorry about that I just uh, read over my notes and I think I understood them. So hopefully we will be good. Uh, I found a new <laughs> one. Um, there is Australians being mad, which is everybody's favourite. Um, everybody's favourite thing. It's called the Australian Thallium Craze, Ooh. which I really like. We should talk about what we do. Oh, yeah. Who uh, are we? <laughs> just to remind people we, who haven't heard from us just, for in a while. Which is everyone, because we haven't been here unless... unless People have just been binging old episodes, which I can't imagine is as satisfying. I uh, I don't know. Every but. so often I see that people are and they say that we're helping them get through lockdown. And like when people, some a lot of people send us like three quid or six quid and say that we're helping them get through miserable times, um, which I'm grateful for. Yeah. Um, that's very delightful. We're very glad to help. And that makes me feel even worse that we've been, been away very for ages, I know. recently. Yeah, but we're, we're back now and I can talk and I'm not at work, so it's all good. But who are we, Janina? Uh, you're Janina, uh, writer, author, podcaster extraordinaire, now BBC award-winning podcaster. Nom- nominated. Oh, nominated. Uh, it was the same thing. Um, um, and I reckon, I reckon, friend of the pod of the pod, Tash Hodgson's going to take that one out. Uh, possibly, you or me. Possibly, but it's a good, like, it's a good fight between uh, Janina <laughs> and Tash. So, yeah. uh, but an all-round good egg, uh, Janina Matheson. Uh, and you are a historian of wonder, expert in the ancient Romans, just incredible writer and person about town. <laughs> when I leave the house, I am. Yeah. <laughs> person about house <laughs> in the southern. Yeah, person, woman about the house. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and together we are uh, showing that history is sexy and a bit grim and uh, answering the questions that you can't be bothered to Google. Um, yeah. With uh, And today the question comes from uh, Rachel Holdsworth uh, and is what are history's most notorious poisonings? Um, just such a fun which question. is just a fun question um, it was, and, yeah. and it is a fun question it's got lots of horrible things in it and lots of lies um and yeah. as you know saying that things are lies is and ruining everybody's fun is my top one favorite thing so yeah 
Oh, although it is it is a fun topic. It's fun talking about horrible things that happened long enough ago to be sanitized. And poison is, you know, exciting and fun and sexy and Agatha Christie-ish. And it's very Agatha Christie, yeah. It's very, very exciting. I will give a warning. Even with this sort of fun topic, we cannot quite escape colonial. <laughs> never, um, can never escape it. It's, so there is three there's three things you can never quite escape and that's capitalism <laughs> colonialism and the patriarchy like all of our episodes come back to one or all three of those things <laughs> yeah that's why the world is on fire all the time in history as well as now which i guess is all we have to cling yeah. to yeah um <laughs> basically yeah okay so the way we can do this is we're gonna take it in turns to tell our favorite poisoning stories basically um mm-hmm. and um i've got lots of uh, like ancient and medieval european ones and you've got ones from all over the world um mm-hmm. and yeah to just uh to talk about the uh how horrible people are basically um yeah. shall i start yeah go for okay it. so i'm gonna start with the romans obviously um <laughs> technically i figure that a very notorious poisoning is um when Socrates was killed with hemlock but it's not a very interesting mm-hmm. story like they tried him to death and then he was put to death with hemlock like that's the end of the story <laughs> um, <laughs> unless you want to get into his philosophy which is fine I guess but a more fun ones are Roman poisonings because they're done by um, generally either wankers or uh, in a confused mm-hmm. attempt to do something else um, and <laughs> the first recorded attempt um, or incident of kind of a famous poisoning in Roman history is from 331 BCE um, when there was a massive uh, plague running through the city or pestilence of some kind. Um, and lots and lots of people were dying of this pestilence. Um, like obviously horrible diseases run rampant through ancient cities all the time. Um, and not always are they... Uh, are they fatal but this one had a particularly high mortality rate um and mm-hmm. a rumor started that the high mortality rate was because the um either the pestilence itself was caused was a, a result of or someone was using the pestilence as a cover for mass poisonings Mm-hmm. Um, and what happens is an enslaved girl, um, and I'm going to put this in very heavy quotes, comes forward um, and tells the curial ideal that um, a number of married kind of upper class women were conspiring to kill off loads of Roman men um, by the means of... I mean, I've, <laughs> I've heard about some Roman men and that does seem fair. I mean, yeah, a lot of them you wouldn't, you wouldn't miss too hard. Um, <laughs> they were trying to get rid of them basically by poisoning them. Um, and using the pestilence as a cover um, and 20 prominent kind of aristocratic women from the city were arrested and put to trial and their defense was that they were giving out potions to the people in their families and around them but that those potions were medicine and were supposed to help Um, Mm -hmm. roman medicine obviously looks exactly the same as roman poison which is there's plants Mm -hmm. and bits of animal all kind of mashed up together usually with some cabbage or some olive oil um like they don't there's no significant difference between what those look like or how disgusting they are Uh um and so the um person overseeing the trial the adl thinks that he has a brilliant plan and so he asks the women to like if these are medicines and not poisons have a wee drink right now uh, and then mm-hmm. 
you know, if you don't prove that they're safe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and prove that they're safe. Um, and they go, we would like to have a wee chat about that. Um, and they go and they go outside <laughs> and have a wee conversation about it, which presumably was an awkward one because when they it came in, they did drink the poison and it turned out to be poison and they all died. It does seem like the extent of that conversation would have been like, um, the poison will kill us, but if we don't drink it, then the men will kill us. Yeah, so it, that's basically what do. And the, the men killing us will be much worse because it will be like involve us being beaten and whipped and like something horrible happened. Mm-hmm. Beheaded, public, probably. yeah, exactly. Where this is going to be much quicker. Um, eventually, that causes like a big mass panic, um, and basically mm-hmm. almost every woman who is giving any kind of medication, whether it's medication or not, um gets rounded up or denounced by somebody um and uh, according to livy 170 women were eventually ma- uh, executed for this that is a lot um, that is a widespread plot because they basically became convinced livy thinks that this is all them like people in the olden days being a bit mad but um he uh he think they basically get become convinced that the pestilence isn't a real pestilence, but is um, women being women, <laughs> sure, um, and trying to get rid of everybody, um, and that is kind of one of the like foundational tales of Roman history. Like that's one that gets told over and over again in any Roman history. It will pop up somewhere. Yeah. Well, that's. Grim. It is. I mean, all of these <laughs> stories. None of them end with like, and then yeah, everyone none... left happily ever after. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, my first one centers around a guy called Bagoas, uh, and this the thing that drew me to this particular story when I started looking into poisonings that I just went to a Wikipedia list of poisonings <laughs> um, to get to, to your, get a few your research brilliant. <laughs> No, I mean, going to Wikipedia to find ideas and then looking for details on them elsewhere is a perfectly cromulent way to research. (laughs) But the way this is uh, in this list is... So the first poisoning on this list is Socrates, who we've talked about why we're not going to talk about because it's ultimately quite boring. The second one is Artaxerxes III, poisoned by his vizier Bagoas. Mm -hmm. The third one is Artaxerxes IV, poisoned by his vizier Bagoas. And the fourth entry is Bagoas, poisoned by Darius III. <laughs> Which is extremely good to me. I really enjoy it. So basically, this dude called Bagoas lived around 300 BCE and was a vizier of the Archimedes Empire of, uh, in Persia. So he was the one of the advisors to Artaxerxes III and built up quite a lot of power while he served in that position. Um, enough that when he uh, kind of fell out with Artaxerxes III, uh, who just, I guess, didn't want him around anymore for... I, I feel like you can predict this happening when you find out what he did. Like, there must have been... There must have been some signs that he was a bit of a... <laughs> yeah. So Artaxerxes... Uh, no, no longer a fan of Bagoas, so Bagoas turns around and poisons him. Yep. Um, apparently via the emperor's own doctor, um, and he also killed a bunch of his sons. Yeah. Uh, so there were so there was not a you know what do you call it a contest over the crown a game of thrones. Um, their technical term is now a game of thrones whenever there is yep. a monarch or crisis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bagoas was never going to become. Uh, 
the king himself, so he kept one of the younger sons, who at that point was called Arces, but became Artaxerxes the fourth. Arces is a great name, incidentally. And put him on the because written down it just says Arces. Arces, yeah, Yeah. it's beautiful. Um, I love my beloved son Arces. (laughs) Yeah. Um. So he he installs (laughs) Arces. On the throne as a puppet king, because yep. at this point he's still this young kid. His, he was not one of the older sons. Um, he was had not been being trained for the throne because he was not one of the older sons. Um, just asking about. Just asking about. But after a couple of years as a puppet king, he wanted his own power and own own agency because I think by this point he was around like eighteen or nineteen. Mm-hmm. Um, so he decided to poison Bogoas so he could get out from under his thumb. But Bogoas found out, so just poisoned him back and the rest of his family as oh, well. Oh, sure, why not? Yeah, why not? Um, Bogoas' next move was to put uh, Artaxerxes IV's cousin, Darius III, on the throne. Again, in an attempt to make him a puppet king, but uh, Darius was not a fan of Bogoas from I the start. Like and was... no one likes Bogoas because everybody I mean, I... knows that he's a big old poisoner. Yeah, I think that dislike is well and thoroughly earned. Yeah. Um. Um, Yeah, he just was very, very clearly willing to poison whoever he had to to stay around. Um, And then it's like, oh, you don't like me either. I can't believe this. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I'm going to have to poison another one. Everyone around me is so toxic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, Darius, from the start, wanted to get rid of Bogoas. And Bogoas knew that, like realized that straight up so he tried to poison him too but Darius found out the specifics presumably uh, in time and forced Bogoas to drink his own poison himself um which is I mean you know that's the most karmic yeah end, I feel I feel like he could have there's also a claim in, uh in Plutarch which I think is unverifiable uh in which Alexander the Great claimed that Bogoas was one of the co-conspirators in the murder of his father, Philip the Great. But I feel like that's maybe a bit of a stretch. Possibly a bit of a stretch. Plutarch does like a bit mm. of a stretch. But, um, yeah. but he does tell a good story, so you can't blame him. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I can see why nobody wanted Bogoas around after a while. But I do enjoy the idea that, like, for quite a long time there, the... Um, the empire was basically being run by people attempting to sneak like poison ivy or whatever into each other's food (laughs) yeah how many state affairs were just going completely ignored because everyone was busy hatching poison plots yeah how many uncomfortable dinners did everybody have to sit through (laughs) waiting to see if someone was gonna drop dead (laughs) um okay so in terms of very famous um, murders by poison, the Roman early Roman emperors in particular are kind of the the champions of of <laughs> horrible murder. Um, and we will see that in kind of European history, Italy gets this reputation um, as a place where which yeah. is absolutely packed to the gills, full of murdering people um, and poison coming at everybody from all angles and that nothing can be trusted mm-hmm. and that Italy is this specific place, um, which is... Everyone is very well-dressed and carrying poison at some, somewhere on their yeah, person at all Yeah, and times. you can't trust anything. Um, and 
as a result, all emperors um, had, from Augustus onwards had um, tasters, like professional tasters. Um, and then it became kind mm-hmm. of cool for other people to have professional tasters, like to show your status would show that. So it's basically a fashion accessory. Kind of, if you can afford one, yeah. Um, so you yeah. have, um, the emperor has one, obviously, and then pro- like members of his family that are important will have them. Um, and then if you um, want to show that you're the kind of person who is important enough that you might get poisoned by somebody else, then you can have a taster too. Um, it's nice. It's the Birkenbag of medieval Italy. Yeah, and it's called a pregustator, um, which is like pre-eater, <laughs> yeah. first eater. Um, but um, it became like a profession and they instituted a kind of guild um, and they had a I mean, that seems fair. I feel like if your job involves checking to see if food is going to kill someone by trying to see trying it to see if it kills you you really do need to be part of a decent union yeah a really good union and like a good training of like that you can taste something and then be like no mate this has got this specific poison in it um but this does not stop um it doesn't stop people being poisoned and it doesn't stop um accusations like constant accusations of poison so um, mm-hmm. classically Livia is accused by a bunch of people in the ancient world of um, murdering Augustus so Livia is his wife um, and she mm-hmm. is um, said to be very very smart she's accused of killing like basically every male member of his family um, and then killing off Augustus so that Tiberius could become the emperor um, mm-hmm. But she gets around the fact that he has tasters by having poison painted onto figs which are on the tree. Um, sure. And then um, when she's walking in the garden with Augusta, she says, oh, look at that delicious looking fig. And he says, that is a delicious looking fig. And he eats it. Um, but because it's come straight off of the tree, nobody thinks it would be poison. It would be poison. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, which is smart. Didn't happen. But it's not a bad one. Um, yeah. Even better um, is Nero, who attempted to poison his mother, Agrippina the Younger, um, mm-hmm. and poisoned her, but found out that she was taking antidotes, um, like, every day. Because of course she was. Because she was Because smart. if anyone was going to be poisoned, it was Agrippina. Also, they had in the household a professional poisoner called Lacusta, um yeah who if you google around um you find all of these stupid very bad articles which are like the world's first serial killer as if one the world was invented in 64 ad um, <laughs> and two she was in any way a serial killer when basically she's just an employee she's effectively a pharmacist it's not her fault what people do with what she does but she's like a professional maker of poisons in the household um and she was allegedly brought in by um, Agrippina in order to mix the poison that would kill Claudius. So Claudius was poisoned with a poisoned mushroom um, mm-hmm. with the help of his taster. So Oh, so like he did a wee sneaky sleight of hand, he'd know this one's exactly. fine. Um, so he was involved mm-hmm. in it. Um, and the, uh, they needed a professional who was very, very good at poisoning because um, Claudius's 
metabolism was said to be so torpid because he was such a massive drinker and eater um, that normal poisons wouldn't work because they would just not, by the time his metabolism got around to them, <laughs> um, it would not, uh, it wouldn't, they wouldn't work on him. Um, so they got in Lacusta, eventually they managed to poison him. Um, Lacusta's then hanging around because they're very pleased with her um, and it's obviously providing Nero with poisons and Agrippina with the antidotes. <laughs> Um, she had a good set, set up going. Yeah, you know she's got she's got everything covered. Um, she um, also provides Nero with the poison, which eventually kills his stepbrother, um, who mm-hmm. is a little kid called Britannicus. Um, and the way that they get around his taster there is that um, the so they would have drink diluted wine. Um, they mm-hmm. didn't really drink wine straight, so they would. Um, put water in it so what they did was they poisoned the water that was put into the wine so the taster Britannicus's taster tastes the wine and says no it's fine and then the water is put in that is very sweet yeah and then he drops dead at the dinner table um and everybody has to pretend that it's fine because Nero's like oh no he's just having a bit of a coughing fit and everyone's like we can see he's dead like there's a dead body right there he's like no no it's fine um and forces everybody to keep having a lovely dinner just just a what a guy what a guy horrifying what a guy terrifying everybody's least favorite person (laughs) including (laughs) his mother yeah yeah um that's that's a lot. It is. Um, there's also lots of stories about him like trying to poison some children just basically for fun, um, sure. but not succeeding um, and other things. And eventually, Lacusta, who instantly was not, again, the world's first serial killer, um, was um, executed when Nero fell. Sure. She was not, and you will find this on the internet as well if you Google Lacusta, raped to death by a giraffe. By a giraffe. By a giraffe, Jadina. I mean, just... Uh, obviously, we, everyone loves to think about how creative the Romans were at brutally murdering, murdering people, but that just the amount of effort you have to put into making that, like, practical... Yeah, it doesn't make so, any sense. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, no. Um, in my book, I can't remember who it is off the top of my head, but it was invented by some American guy, one of those people who writes like 10,000 books on various different subjects and they're all trash. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called sure. like the Encyclopedia of Serial Killers or something. Um, yeah, but mm-hmm. it really, for some reason, that really took off and it's all over the internet now. I mean, because it's hilarious. It is hilarious, it's, but it's not true. She was just uh, normally executed. Yeah. Because... Yeah. I mean, normally yeah. executed probably means that she was eaten by a leopard or something, but... Uh, <laughs> it's not, not nice. It's not, it's not like she had a... Ni- being put to death is not no. nice. <laughs> it's, it's a horrible... Um, yeah. Just, but the... Uh, yeah, yeah. I think there's a little bit... But, I mean, there's a jump, to... like... There is a... Yeah. Yes, <laughs> All right. Who have you got next? Uh, my next one is Bindasara, or who Bindasara is a was a baby who was basically born out of a poisoning. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is one of the stories. This is from um, 
around to some uh around 270 to 80 BCE mm-hmm. and it is um the stories are inconsistent and it's a little bit of legend like the the merging of legend and history so it's very hard to know to what extent this is based in reality uh but it's a cool story so um this it's it concerns the second Mauryan emperor of India um who his father Chandragupta founded this em- empire and um the legend has it that his minister Chanakaya had a habit of putting small amounts of poison into his food to help him build up an immunity to it but the emperor himself Chandragupta was not aware that this was happening so he <laughs> sure. was just against against his own will and knowledge being made immune to a whole bunch of poisons um because he didn't know about it, one day he just was having a nice wee moment with his heavily pregnant wife that included sharing part of his meal with her um, without realising that it was, it was heavily poisoned. poisoned. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the, the minister, Chanakaya, came into the room just uh, as she was eating and realised she was about to die uh, and that technically he had poisoned her. So he cut her open to save the baby. In some versions, she was already dead and he cut just cuts the baby out very quickly enough to save it. And in some accounts, um, he cuts off her head to kill her quickly. Oh. And then <laughs> out the baby, which is a lot. Uh, there, is all, there are also some versions of the story um, say that because the baby was seven days early, he was kept in the wombs of goats for a week. Like they would kill a goat and when it was still freshly killed pop the baby in its womb and then the next day kill a new one it's horrifying also i don't think that that could be accurate because a week early is no big deal really and also we don't even measure due dates accurately now no and they definitely (laughs) didn't in the ancient world (laughs) they absolutely did not like "Eh, a baby takes somewhere between eight and ten months like (laughs) you're gonna get really big and when you're very big that's when the baby comes um also, what's putting it in a womb going to do? It's just going to... It's like it's a born baby. It's not going to attach... It's umbilical yeah. cord to anything. It's not... Like, it's it's breathing through its... Through its lungs. Its mouth yeah. now. So you it's can't too, really like, You put can't put it, it in... back in once they're out. No. <laughs> it needs, Much it needs as I'm sure many oxygen. mothers in the world have wished that to happen. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that makes... Yeah. I mean, I appreciate that somebody went to the effort of making that up, but they definitely made that up. Definitely seems very, very unlikely. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh. Okay, back to Europe. Um, mm-hmm. So, there is an important thing that we need to know before I go to my next story. Um, and that is mm-hmm. that basically for the entire ancient world um, and most of the early medieval world, um, in the West, they're using plant and animal-based poisons. So they're finding poisonous plants mm-hmm. and grinding them up in various combinations, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and using classic and, like, it, it's a bit of an art to make an indetectable poison. Um, over in um, Mesopotamia, however, and Persia, they are doing more interesting things. Um, and they have a thriving science... Uh, discipline and lots and lots of scientists mm-hmm. and they have a polymath in 8th century Persia whose name is Jabba Ibn Hayyan um, and he is one of these lads who wrote like 700 books on loads of different subjects um, each of which mm-hmm. is a brilliant breakthrough in its field um, and w- sure. one of the things that he was particularly interested in was chemistry and making 
um, various compounds um, and mm-hmm. creating new th- compounds and just just really interested in chemistry in general. Um, and one of his experiments, what he accidentally invented, was a thing called white arsenic, um, which is a form of arsenic uh, that is odourless, tasteless, colourless, really easy to make, um, and worked slow enough that the poisoner could be quite a long way away by the time the person actually died. So the death That's a handy addition. looked like, or could look like, a natural death. Um, mm-hmm. and that's great um, and uh, I don't know how far that was used as a poison in um, the the Muslim world but uh, around about uh, the 13th century uh, there starts being quite a lot of scholarly contact um, between mm-hmm. the Arabic speaking world and the Western world and things start getting translated into Latin um, particularly mm-hmm. works of science <laughs> Um, and one of the like me this is how we get lots of Aristotle back and lots of Greek works that had been lost um, in the West Um, but it also uh, means that the Western ruling classes suddenly learned how to make white arsenic (laughs) Um, uh, which is why you get um, a massive spike shortly after the 12th century once you start getting into like the 13th 14th 15th century Uh (laughs) all of a sudden all of a sudden there's a lot of people being accused of poisoning one another (laughs) um and eventually in france much much later it becomes to be called inheritance powder um, which we will get to um but this is what is being used by um our one of the most kind of famous bad women of history uh, who's mm-hmm. Lucretia Borgia yeah. and her father, Pope Alexander VI. Um, Lucretia Borgia is the illegitimate daughter of Pope Alexander VI, which is just a really great <laughs> sentence to say. do love a Pope who had an illegitimate daughter. So this is the um, late 15th century um, and the papal states are not... The papal states are a kingdom um that mm-hmm. is ruled by the pope like the pope is a king um and is yeah. a a secular authority as much as and even more than really he is a spiritual authority um and so it's basically an administrative position yeah it's more yeah than a basically one. it's a it's basically a position of being a king that you can get yeah. by having other people vote for you um, and you can bribe the shit out of those people. <laughs> and then also, if a um, like a bishop or a cardinal, and cardinals are like your like governors of the state, like if they die, then the Pope gets all of their stuff. Um, people sure. absolutely despise Alexander um, because he <laughs> is a horrible person. <laughs> and also because there are basically for like 300 years these massive power struggles between these big families including the the like the de medici who we will come to um and a bunch of other families and sforza visconti blah 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 like all these spanish and italian families who are massively yeah. rich and massively powerful but who want to be aristocracy like who want to be and 
all have been all the families who have been getting premium TV shows over the past exactly. five years or so. Um, and they are not really <laughs> descended from royalty, or if they are, it's like minor royalty. But being a pope is the way that you get to be actual royalty. Um, mm-hmm. And so everybody hates Alexander. Everybody wants to be Alexander at the same time, and they hate Lucretia. Um, because she's a girl and because she is um a, seems to be a fairly competent girl um and because she is very close to her father like her and her dad are like um twinsies um so everybody hates them so you've got to be suspicious of someone who's really close to someone that everyone else hates. yeah exactly um she's also um gets to have like she's the governor of spilito like by herself like that's just her job um mm-hmm. and this annoys people as well um but she and her father are accused of murdering basically everyone who comes to dinner with them uh, <laughs> <laughs> and yet people kept going and yet, but you can't say no to the pope um like <laughs> and because they're accused of using um white arsenic what happens is like someone goes to dinner with them and then four months later dies um mm-hmm. or if they go to dinner with them and then are like and get a cold or a, <laughs> some kind of rampant, horrible Venice fever, um, then everyone's like, oh my God, poisoned by Alexander. Mm-hmm. Um, and I spent ages when I was doing this original research trying to find like the names of people that they are supposed to have killed. And you just can't really find them. Like it's actually quite hard to find who they are supposed to have killed. But, but you get all of these quotes that are like, no dinner party um, occurred with the Borgias and without four people dying. Um, oh, sure. and like in, the infinite amounts of people and like they killed as many people as there are stars in the sky and you're like yeah can you name any of them <laughs> um anyway yeah. because it seems like if a, if a whole lot of like people of, from prominent powerful families died there would be some report. yeah um and it like it's very hard um to actually see but, but basically anyone who is a cardinal who dies um people like murdered murdered by alexander um mm-hmm. But because they get this reputation of being deranged murderers, Lucretia in particular um, is accused of having uh, this po- the poison ring. This is where the invention of the, the poison ring comes from. Yeah. Um, nobody can agree on what it might be like. Um, if you Google them, then you get loads of... You don't get poison rings. What you get is Victorian memento rings, um, which are basically lockets um so yeah so that like the idea behind that is poison ring is that you just have a little bit of arsenic in your ring so you can flick it open over someone's drink exactly that's the idea Mm. um that's one of the um when you go back to like contemporary or just after contemporary sources that's one of the examples that's given but there's two other um versions of her ring that are suggested one is that she has a um the jewels in the rings are in fact very very thin glass bubbles um and when you the person kisses her hand the bubble bursts and explodes the poison into their mouths i feel like it would also explode the glass which even if it's very fine is still glass i mean you would 100 percent notice if you kiss someone's massive ring and it exploded in your face (laughs) yeah and all of a sudden you like have all these fine cuts on your lips (laughs) like something just there was a jewel there and now there isn't and i've got some stuff on my face um so anyway not great um the um idea that it's like uh some kind of flip up that can be poured and my personal favorite is that it's got a spike 
um, and that she could walk past people and just stab them in the leg. <laughs> so a little a little needle point tip, dipped in a poison. Yeah. That's very good. And then she would go around with her mask. Again, when you were kissing her hand, you might be like, gosh, what an enormous spike you have, ma'am. But... <laughs> Um, but I enjoy it. As far as I can tell, yeah. from looking at like recent scholarship, uh, I don't think that um, Alexander killed, if it killed anybody, not very many people at all. And Lucretia probably didn't kill anyone and spent most of her life being shuffled off into one husband or another for her father's... Desperately trying to cling to the power that was supposed to be like, hers. Just taking she, what she, she can get, supposedly basically. supposedly had a job, so... To be fair, she does quite well. She's the illegitimate daughter of um of a guy like she could have been left in the gutters but she does all right out of the situation but um i I don't think that she was a massive sorry to ruin everybody's fun i'm not sorry i'm ruining all your fun yeah lucretia borgia was just a normal woman (laughs) (laughs) that everyone hated everyone yeah everyone did hate her poor woman she was probably being being a woman in history who everyone hated is being a normal woman. yeah that's true i think that's true my next one is exactly um, that too. So. <laughs> uh, so my next one is a woman called Zhu Pingjun, also known as the Empress Gongai, which translates to, apparently, I, I cannot verify this myself because I don't know anything, but apparently translates to the respectable and lamentable Empress, oh. which I love a lot. Respectable and lamentable. Um, respectful and lamentable um and i think she's lamentable because she died at the age of 18 which is pretty lamentable fact that is lamentable um, so she was the wife of uh, emperor zwan uh, and she had married him when he was a commoner so his father had been the crown prince but had mounted a rebellion against the emperor at that time emperor wu um, and his entire, like, he was put to death and his entire family were exiled and he and his son was made a commoner oh, sure. um, as a punishment yeah. for that uprising. Um, but then after Emperor Wu had died, there was a regency. No one was particularly happy with how it was going. Um, so the regent, uh, a guy called Huo Guang, deposed the prince of the regency, Prince He, and installed Zwan instead, brought him back into royalty to be as he was just decided he would be a better king i guess um so when zwan became emperor zhu pingjin was made an imperial consort uh, rather than being made his empress because the officials wanted huo guang's daughter to become the empress he want they wanted um zwan to marry her and install her as an empress instead but he refused because i guess he was in love uh, which is nice so so Zhu Pingjun was made empress and Huo Guang's wife took matters into her own hands and bribed the empress's doctor to poison her immediately after she gave birth, um, which he did and she died. Uh, so uh, Huo Guang's wife, who I have not found a name for, one, that might be my bad research and it might be history's bad <laughs> I cannot tell you. 50-50. Um, <laughs> either yeah. way. Uh, so she went and confessed to her husband um, after the doctor was arrested. And do- doctor and his attendants were all arrested after the empress died. And she went and said that it was her all along. It was She was behind it uh, so that the doctor could be released. Um, but she was never turned in for her crime. I don't think he ever told the emperor. And so she got what she wanted after the empress had died. Her daughter, her and Huo Guang's daughter, uh, married the emperor oh. i think she also ended up dying very young as well so it wasn't 
not happiness for long. But, but she got what she wanted. Like Nero, she, she eventually, she, if you're just enough of a deck, actually you get what you want at least for a bit. Yeah. I have another one that I might just tack on because it's very, very short. And again, it's one where um, stories are very inconsistent. Some stories say that he was just poisoned. Uh, this is, uh, there is an, an Islamic martyr called Muhammad al-Bakir, who some people, some sources claimed was killed with a poisoned saddle. Oh, no, you see, this is one that very, I got like, obsessed with the last time we did it because I was trying to work out oh. how the hell you can possibly poison a saddle. Um, <laughs> yeah it does seem like I mean it could be another spike like a little raised maybe. nail or something that's just going to scrape along your thigh and you don't notice it you just think that the saddle's a bit tattered and then it's actually poison see I was getting really into like looking at um, contact poisons like what kind of poisons could go through the skin actually we'll do mm-hmm. my next one has a very similar issue um, okay. of like what kind of poison is going through the skin um, Definitely wearing fabric dyed with arsenic, which used to be how people got green. Definitely that can kill you. But that would take a really long time. Yeah, it's exposure over time. Yeah. Mm. See, and this is like, oh, he went on a ride on his horse and then while yeah, wearing, like presumably died. not nude. Um, <laughs> presumably. And But yeah, we'll come back to this. Put a pin in it because... Okay. Um, I investigated. I don't know that I've got an answer. In fact, I probably don't. But <laughs> okay. I found the only thing that came close to an answer. Um, so, and this one has a similar issue. Um, and it is the case of Catherine de Medici, uh, who is mm-hmm. um, an extraordinary woman of the 16th century. She is um, Queen of France. Uh, she is the Dauphin, so the regent um, for... Uh, so she's sorry. She's Dauphin, which is the wife of the um, of King Henry II, and then she is regent for three of her sons, um, mm-hmm. including that makes her at one point Mary Queen of Scots' mother. Yes, all, she right? is, um, yeah. <laughs> and um, and also kind of pretty much raises Mary Queen of Scots. Mary Queen of Scots is sent over there when she's about nine, yeah. ten months old, um, and she um, means she loses all of her children um, at a very young age. Uh, yeah. because she's just, and everybody acts like this is her like the fact that she's regent with her three children is some kind of victory for her but really it's just all of her children died really young <laughs> yeah uh, but she never got to age out of the job anyway she is um considered to be um a very sinister and occult woman um a a, a wicked uh a wicked woman from italy basically is is that how she's painted just by more the Protestant church afterwards? Yes. Or? So the, one of the reasons why she is considered this is because she has a circle around her of, um, like, occultists. Um, and, like, Nostradamus sure. is her pal. Um, a guy called Cosimo Ruggieri. And these people who are well into um, prophecy and um, mm-hmm. kind of magic and things like that. The other reason is because of a thing called the St. Bartholomew Day Massacre. Um, which we've talked about before, which is in 1572, um, she uh, sent forces um, and instigated a days-long massacre of Huguenots um, uh, on St. Bartholomew's Day, um, and thousands and thousands of people died horribly. Um, So it's a pretty reasonable thing to not like someone for being involved. (laughs) That occurred... um, She's a diehard lifelong hardcore catholic like defending the catholic faith um 
she has um married her son um henry so henry the third um okay. to a girl called marguerite who is the daughter um of so he's a princess of navarre um mm-hmm. and the mother of marguerite is the queen regent of navarre um this is this is this marguerite is she the one i think victor hugo wrote a novel about her yes which we're going to get to in a minute but yeah i think i've actually got it somewhere and i've read like the first thing um so she um basically they so jean dabret is the jean dabret is the queen of navarre marguerite is her daughter (laughs) there is this very long um negotiation between Jean and Catherine um, to get this marriage to happen because they despise each other because Catherine is a big old Catholic um, and mm-hmm. uh, Jean is a big old Huguenot. She's like the spiritual <laughs> leader, the face of the Huguenot movement in France, the Protestant movement. Um, and it takes a really long time and they fucking hate each other. Like they just really dislike each other on every possible level. It eventually goes mm-hmm. through. Days later, they have the wedding. These two kids are married to each other. They have the wedding. Um, the Bartholomew's Day Massacre happens, de- literally mm-hmm. days later. Um, and then a few, little while after that, like very shortly after that, um, Jean Delbret dies. Sure. Um, and the story goes that um, Catherine murdered Jean with some poisoned gloves sure by giving them to him to wear or by her but yeah like shaking his hands while she wore them? she gave her some lovely leather gloves um mm-hmm. and those gloves had some kind of poison inside them and when Jeanne mm-hmm. wore them um she she died and the poison somehow went through her skin Sure. And such was um, Catherine's reputation that when Victor Hugo, who was a Huguenot, wrote the novel about Marguerite, um, he -hmm. included the accusation that um, she had also murdered her own son, who uh, is Henry's older brother, Charles IX, um, by Mm -hmm. poisoning the cover of his Bible. The cover is not that. I guess maybe Catholics do more like praying on the Bible rather than opening it. Well, to I suppose read if it. you're holding it in your hands, like you've got. I suppose so. Um, yeah. Yeah, and like basically, this is um, this. That's a in that's a fictional thing, but it kind of has much like a lot of stuff worked its way into like when you read internet articles about Catherine de Medici, yeah. you'll often find it there. Um, but this is like a big. Um, a big stain on her reputation um, and the yeah. Medici get this reputation of again much because they are in this um, papal states uh, kind of constant Game of Thrones um, they have this reputation of being like a shower of bastards who'll murder anyone for anything sure because um, it's that stuff that, that people um because it's it's so wild people want you want it to be true so you let yourself believe it um yeah rather than yeah rather than thinking about yeah. it 
Yeah. Um, it, it's around about this time that you get um, Thomas Nash, the English writer, wrote, Oh, Italy, that academy of manslaughter, the sporting place of murder, the apothecary shop of poison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um and the the only thing that I can find that could possibly be even slightly related to this is thallium. Um which we'll get to when we get to Australia's thallium craze. I think we might have been being wrong. I think it was Alexander Dumas who wrote Oh, was it Alexander? I apologize. Yeah, in in Love and Mar- Margot. Yeah. Um, There's definitely the book that I was thinking of. Yes. But there might be another one that Victor That would make more sense in terms of time wise. <laughs> mm. uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, Alexandre Dumas. Um, yeah. But yeah. So the only thing that works is thallium in, that I can find that isn't a modern um, synthesized pesticide. Like pesticides are really big. Yeah. Uh, but they obviously didn't have a load of synthesized pesticides hanging around in the 1590s. Um, so yeah um but even that thallium is in a couple of agatha christie's most notably no i don't want to spoil it i'm not going to say which one it is if you know (laughs) it you know it Uh, (laughs) um yeah i'm pretty sure i know and it's the one that um you know it's the only one that when you talk about it like could get through the skin but right you'd have to be i suppose with gloves there is an argument that you could coat the inside of them with something that is going to stay on your hands that then when you touch your face afterwards you breathe it yeah, in maybe basically but a lot all, of poisons are like or it all like it's really will hurt your skin if you put it on your skin um yeah but once it's through the skin it's too big a lot like the molecules are too big they won't travel in the bloodstream oh, um so okay. like they will really fuck up your skin but they're not going to do much worse than that um, and yeah. then unless you start licking your hands, <laughs> which I don't want to make any accusations about what people are doing with their time, but it seems unlike that many people were licking the palms of their hands. Um, yeah. That it's probably not going to kill you unless you have a lot of exposure to it, um, mm. except thallium. But even then, you're going to have to wear those gloves for a very long time. Yeah, um, I feel like she probably did. Possibly I feel like unlikely. She probably just dropped dead, and it was just a, an unfortunate coincidence for the um, reputation of <laughs> Catherine de Medici. This is the problem: it's just poor Catherine de Medici that we hadn't invented autopsies yet. Yeah, that's true. Mm. Um, and there's no way of saving her now. Yeah. Um, also, she my did next one all is... those people in the Bartholomew massacre. So she did do a she did do a massacre. Fuck so. <laughs> My next uh, one is kind of fun, although it does involve some shit men. Always. Uh, But it's alright, a lot of them die. So this is the story of the angel makers of Nagriv, which is a really small village in Hungary. Mm-hmm. So it centers around a woman called Susanna Fazikas, who turned up in 1911. She already had lost her own husband, and I don't think anyone knows what exactly happened to him. There's a record of who who she was married to, but I don't, I couldn't find details on whether he had died or whether he had left her or whatever. Um, but he's not important to the story unless you want to use it as a speculate to speculate over whether or not she killed him, which is you know maybe oh, she sure, did. Um, so she was a midwife. 
And she also performed abortions, which were illegal at the time. And she was arrested for it several times. But she always seemed to come up um, in front of sympathetic judges who, I guess, just were progressive feminist allies who thought that women should be able to get abortions. So good on them, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a point in time where, and I don't know if this was Hungary in general or if it's more rural Hungary or it was a particularly conservative um, village that she was in, but the basic custom was that teenage girls would be given a husband by their families. They would have no choice in who they married. Um, they would just be married off and then there was no divorce. Divorce was not an okay. option. So even if you were married to someone abusive... Um, you were stuck and there was nothing you could do. And then World War One hit and all the men went off to fight and in the area, because it was quite rural and inaccessible, so, so quite a secure location, they set up a prisoner of war camp. Mm-hmm. And like sure. a lot of prisoner of war camps in rural areas, it was pretty chill and the prisoners were allowed to um, potter around the village if they wanted to, just as long as they, you know, they just weren't allowed to run swords, away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they weren't allowed. They weren't allowed to run away or have weapons, yeah. um, but they were allowed to hang out with the villagers. And some of the women just decided to get theirs with the allied soldiers, which is fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, all of these affairs happened while the men were away fighting, and then when the war ended and their husbands came back, all of a sudden these women didn't have the freedom that have that had, and they, you know, had lost these men they'd been having fun with. So, Susanna Fazekas dealt with the problem for everyone by boiling flypaper to strip off the arsenic mm. and selling it to unhappy wives <laughs> so they could dispatch their husbands. Yep. Um, she was the only medical professional in the area because the village was so small it didn't have a doctor. Yep. And so, as a midwife, she was the next best thing. Also, the local clerk who filed death certificates was her own cousins, so she could just put whatever she wanted and the clerk or clerk, clerk, it is clerk, isn't it? I said it wrong the first time, um, would sign off on them. Uh, it took 50 deaths before one of the women was caught. I think someone found a body a little bit down the river, um, and then it all came out into the open. Mm-hmm. But, you know, wow. just, just fair enough. <laughs> Angel makers, I like that as a... I'm, no. I don't I don't endorse murder no. as a general rule, but if you're trapped in an abusive marriage, I don't see any reason why <laughs> we shouldn't have some sympathy for someone who chooses that as a way to get if out of it. they feel like they're trapped, exactly. Um, yeah, especially in a, at a point in time when you just, you just don't have any options. Like, you, you don't have any other recourse. What are you supposed to do in that sort of situation? On that, I'm going to skip my... Um, one and I'm going to jump forward in time to and I'm going to do Australia stallion craze and we if we have time okay. then I'll do the affair of the poisons after that um because this ties into that quite nicely um it's called literally Australia stallion craze um <laughs> it's stretching the word craze a little bit but I see where they're going with it um right thallium is a really horrible thing basically it's a really nasty um a really nasty element um it uh, looks like tin, but it'll fuck you up, um, <laughs> and it will kill you reasonably fast and reasonably horribly. <laughs> um, as a result, naturally, in the early twentieth century, it was used as a rat poison, and you could just go into a hardware store or pharmacy and buy it, like you could <laughs> with like strychnine and arsenic and all kinds of things that you could apparently just buy absolutely willy nilly. <laughs> until very recently i did some hunting about to see when this was when it was stopped being used like when you could 
no no longer buy thallium over the counter um, and couldn't mm-hmm. find it. The latest I could find it was 1987. It was still being sold in Guyana. Um, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't find out when it was um, discontinued in Australia. This happens in the 1950s, the early 1950s. So not that long ago, um, you could just nip into somewhere and buy a thing Mm -hmm. called Thalrat, (laughs) which is like the most Australian name for anything. (laughs) I've just got to go go down the shop and get myself some Thalrat. (laughs) Kill me husband. Exactly. Um, and that's exactly what they did. Um, this comes to light first off in 1952 when a woman called Yvonne Fletcher um, mm-hmm. was arrested and tried for murdering two husbands with thallium. Um, she'd already lost one a few years before, um, and, but she hadn't moved anywhere. She'd just got another husband and then started poisoning him. Um, Mm -hmm. and basically neighbours got suspicious that her second husband had the exact same symptoms as her first (laughs) husband. (laughs) Like, it just seemed like a bit of a coincidence that two husbands would suffer. And, like, thallium, um, you get, like, hair loss and skin diseases. And, like, um, once you know what it is, it's fairly recognisable. But it doesn't really look like anything else. Um, This kicks off, like, a massive case and people then start looking out like it's a really big thing she's sentenced to death um Mm -hmm. and uh and then other cases like basically this opens people's eyes and they start looking at other people around them in their communities um particularly in sydney where um rats were a big problem at the time um and so thallium was apparently fucking everywhere um Ruby Norton was the next woman to be arrested um, and she was um, arrested for poisoning her son-in-law with thallium, mm-hmm. um, her unwanted son-in-law. Uh, and <laughs> the uh, prosecution claimed that she was doing it because she hated all men and didn't want any more in the family. <laughs> Not in my family. I am fed off of them. Stop marrying men. <laughs> Not having any more of this. Um, regardless of that uh, I don't know what evidence they had for it but it can't have been very good because she did get off um, and she was acquitted Um, but I enjoy that nonetheless Uh, a few months later 1953 uh, there's another massive case when a woman called Veronica Monty um, Mm -hmm. is found to be sleeping with her Um, Mm son-in-law and then in order to resolve the situation of the fact that she was um, sleeping with her son-in-law um, and it was getting awkward, uh, tried to murder him with thallium. Sure. Uh, unfortunately, also for her, as well as being a kind of love square with her own children, um, <laughs> she, he was quite a famous rugby player, Australian rugby player. Um, and so mm-hmm. when uh, she was arrested, it all became a big, massive uh, situation. Um, she was tried, she was found guilty, and then she used thallium to kill herself. Uh-huh. Um, and finally, also in 19... Uh, no, not even finally, there's two more. Um, also in 1953, uh, Beryl Haig was arrested mm-hmm. um, for trying to kill her husband with thallium um, by putting it in his tea. Sure. Um, and uh, unclear to at me at this time how it was found out because he, she did not succeed. Um, but she was openly admitted to what she was doing and said that it was because she wanted to give him a headache to repay the many headaches that he had given her whenever he beat her. <laughs> uh, she wasn't sure. trying to kill him, just merely punish him. 
Um, sure. Yeah. Finally, uh, in nineteen, also in nineteen fifty-three. Um, it says four in nineteen fifty-three. Um, a woman called Caroline Grills was arrested and tried and found guilty for killing four people in her family <laughs> um, with thallium laced tea. Um, and when they kind of arrested her, they found that she had also put thallium in the tea of two people that she was having afternoon tea with at the time sure Uh, of course she was just on an absolute thallium rampage she just once you pop you can't stop yes see the thing with thallium is that it is very effective um and it's also odorless and tasteless and clear Mm. so it doesn't like other um other things that are in thalrat um (laughs) might well taste of Uh something but it is um largely it's very effective particularly when ingested like it becomes uh, you can't sure. really taste it um by itself i suspect that if you're drinking thalrat you might be like mm. um it's probably not yeah. pure thallium this tastes more like rat poison <laughs> this than tastes it does like tea. very odd um but apparently in australia for a while there people were going mad for it yeah apparently jeez um and Around about this time, I assume, because it tapers off, they stopped selling thallium <laughs> in shops. I mean, that's a idea. Don't do it. Just num- <laughs> top one tip, don't sell yeah. massively deadly poisons to just any old person who comes into your shop. Yeah, jeez. Um, um, my next one is uh, a colonialist nightmare. I mean, it is fighting back against <laughs> colonialism. Um if you want to interpret it that way. So that's nice. Uh, so this is... <laughs> it's, it's called the... Yeah. <laughs> it's the Easing Bakery Incident, uh, which ha- occurred in 1857 in Hong Kong. So this is um, in the middle of the Second Opium War, which is just basically general... The British are awful. Uh, the to are their awful, places yeah. they have colonised. Um, and sometimes there are wars about it. So uh, the Imperial Commissioner, a guy called Yi Ming Chen, has offered rewards for the death of French and British residents in Hong Kong, uh, calling them rebel barbarians. Um, But the Hong Kong government is basically super shitty to Chinese residents. Um, They have, there's a curfew on them. Um, Anyone, any, a Chinese resident convicted of crime can just be immediately deported to mainland China. Uh, It's just basically a lot of brutality and excessive regulation and oppressive on Chinese residents as compared to European residents. Mm-hmm. Um, and no one is happy. Um, and then, all of a sudden, on the 15th of January, 1827, oh, I did this last time and I didn't check it. I did it <laughs> and twice and it's different. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I did this you last time as well. I'm going to, I'm going to check it because we should be accurate. It was either 1857 or 27. Easing Bakery. Let's let's find out how where I am wrong. Um, fifth, eighteen fifty-seven. Okay, so fifteenth of January, eighteen fifty-seven. When all of a sudden, um, f- three to five hundred European residents of Hong Kong suddenly start vomiting all over the place, and eventually, this is tracked back to the Easing Bakery owned by a guy called Chong Ah Lum. Um, who has basically just put arsenic in all of the bread. <laughs> um, he 
fortunately used so much that it made people vomit immediately. So the arsenic didn't stay in the system for long enough to kill them. It wasn't in there long enough. Mm. Yeah. Um, Although there were some deaths in the next year or so that were put down to long-term effects of this poisoning. And some people had health uh, issues that lasted the rest of their lives after it. Um, He was tried and found not guilty, but banished from Hong Kong. But there are still different, a bunch of different theories as to what, what the the real cause was, whether he did it himself of his own volition, whether he was hired to do it or pressured or bribed to do it, um, whether he even did it himself or if it was someone else working at the bakery and he wasn't aware of it or whether it was just an accident. There had been a similar accident at his bakery um, previously where something just was knocked into the dough and this is why you don't keep arsenic in a kitchen it is a good idea to never keep arsenic anywhere near food (laughs) oh don't don't put it anywhere near places where food are being i mean again i've learned this from agatha christie it will get in the food it will absolutely get in the food Um, on purpose usually but sometimes by accident (laughs) and you will ruin dinner for everybody (laughs) yeah no one wants to ruin dinner i mean i would want to ruin the dinner of these absolute like French and British twats marching around Um, Hong Kong like they own the place which they do inexplicably because that's the way the stupid world works but um, but still (laughs) don't keep arsenic in the kitchen don't Don't. keep thallium in the kitchen don't keep strychnine in the kitchen yeah just all poisons probably in their own these are my lessons for life Um, (laughs) alright I'm going to finish off with like the great um, poison scandal of all time um mm-hmm. which is well if you if, if we want to finish off with that shall i just throw in a quick philadelphia okay, poison you ring throw in your philadelphia this one is, poison this one is very short and very fun okay. it centers around two brothers or two cousins rather called herman and paul petrillo they started out just with a bit of light counterfeit doing a bit of arson and insurance scams um in the 1930s in philadelphia uh so depression era philly which you know you've got to, you've got to do what you can to survive yep um they would basically sell insurance uh, insurance deals to people and then hire thugs to kill the, the person who was insured uh, and make it look like an accident so you get double indemnity. Um, oh, yeah. But they eventually abandoned their gang and added a couple of uh, women, namely Maria Karina Favato, Josephine Sedita, and Rose Karina, who basically set themselves up as wise women who could help out with women's loves lo- love lives mm-hmm. and including selling them love potions um which they would sell alongside life insurance policies on their husbands <laughs> <laughs> the yep. love potions they sold were in fact arsenic natch yeah natch uh but yeah that's the philadelphia poison ring very nice um uh that that has the air of a um h.h holmes about it like taking out mm-hmm. that's what he did mostly until people started making up stuff about his house of horrors um is yeah. take out yeah um he would take out uh insurance policies on women mostly in his life um and then they would then he would poison them with arsenic that he bought from a pharmacy um because <laughs> you could just do that yeah um and then um then he got a bit carried away and then but mostly what he did was insurance fraud <laughs> by murdering people uh which apparently happened a surprising amount in like 19th century america and probably yeah. in various other places um I mean, okay it's just less checking i guess 
Well, yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of movement of people, um, and it's hard to, you know, yeah. keep track of them all. And it's a uh, cities are growing up, and um, and so on and so forth. Um, <laughs> you can listen to podcasts about H. H. Holmes for that, but that's basically what he did. Um, okay, so this brings us to our final one, which is the affair of the poisons. Which that's is a bold title. The affair, the, the one the affair of poisons. affair of the poisons. It is a massive deal, um, and it happens uh, in the court of Louis the Fourteenth, Louis the Sun King. Um, it begins in 1676 with a woman mm-hmm. with the truly fabulous name of Marie Magdalene Marguerite Dobray. That is a good name. That is, they are not separate names. That is a hyphenated first name. <laughs> Um, so it's not like her mum is running through the names of all of her siblings before she gets like that's when she shouts <laughs> yes. out Mary Madeline Marguerite she means yeah. just that one person uh, she is arrested and tried um, uh, for poisoning her father and her two brothers and attempting to poison her daughter um, in order to basically acquire all of their inheritance for herself mm-hmm. um, she is tried because her boyfriend um that she was going to run away with with all of this money uh, basically is arrested on unrelated things and dobs her in to get himself out of trouble mm-hmm. sure um the next year this is a, already a big enough case but the next year um a woman called madeline de lagrange is arrested for uh poisoning her husband um and forging a marriage certificate um or forging a marriage certificate and then poisoning her husband basically for the money um sure. so that she will inherit his so that means does that mean she didn't really poison her husband she, well, she did but she he wasn't really her husband yeah uh, <laughs> she forges this marriage certificate um and then kills him so that um he she will inherit his money by saying oh i'm his wife but she wasn't um <laughs> In order to save herself from the gallows, she declares that she has information about where she got the poison from and about lots and lots of high-profile murders by poison and how lots of people who had died in recent years um, were actually being poisoned. So deaths that had pre- had previously been thought to be of natural causes exactly. were actually poisoned. Mm-hmm. She, um, this starts an investigation. Like These two high-profile cases kind of spook people. Um, and they mm-hmm. personally spook the king. Uh, so sure. Louis Sun King is freaked out by it. Um, and he institutes an investigation. Um, and she, uh, Madeleine de Lagrange, points the finger at a woman who is called Catherine de Chaise Montvoisin, um, mm-hmm. who is known mostly as Lavoisin. Um, she is one of these women who is much like in The Angel Makers, um and in the affair with the romans she's one of these women who is the woman that you go to when you're in trouble sure like she does abortions she will sell you something that will get rid of your gonorrhea she will sell you a love potion um Mm -hmm. she will help you out with your embarrassing problems she will you know she she's the local wise woman that you go to she would also tell your fortune and read your tarot and whatever um, and she will also, if you want some, sell you some inheritance powder. Um, she can get you white arsenic. So she's a very handy person to have in the contact list. She is. All round. And she also is, she is basically set up by the investigation as being the head um, 
of a massive ring of wise women, fortune tellers, kind of people who would have been witches, mm-hmm. um, who are in Paris and who are running these rings and who are the people that dukes and duchesses and countesses and the um, Madame de Montespan, who is, in fact, Charles Charles's... Um, Charles, he's fuck is Charles Louis, <laughs> uh, who is Louis's mistress, his favorite mm-hmm. mistress. Um, they go to in order to get their love potions and gonorrhea treatments and whatever. Mm-hmm. So this she's, is... she's gonorrhea treatments to the crown. Yes, um, but she's also poisoned to the crown. She um, this uh, kind of investigation ends up um, with four hundred people named as suspects. 200 people arrested, 36 executed, 40 more imprisoned for the for life as users of magical potions, seances, love potions, black masses, divinations, and seances. Mm-hmm. Um, over somewhere between, and this is where like you're like history numbers, um, 1,250 to 2,500 people. Sure. 1,000 to 2,000. <laughs> 200 why do i keep saying 250,000 i'm losing my mind 1000 to 2500 there we go uh deaths are ascribed mm-hmm. to being as a result of this poison ring um, so it's 150 margin of error on it's 150 margin of error which is classic for anything <laughs> before about 1990 uh, um these women are like all like people from the aristocracy are rounded up like it gets as close to the king as you can get with his mistress but also mm-hmm. like all of the people that he's having dinner with all of the people that he counts as his friends like his court these dukes and duchesses and whatnot are all intimately caught up in this mm-hmm. um eventually this takes several years from 1677 to 1682 so five years worth of hounding um until eventually they feel like they've like they basically run out of people to accuse um Mm -hmm. and it fizzles out but it basically uh, is this immense years-long scandal that ends in hundreds of people um being executed and um lavoisin is burnt at the stake Mm -hmm. Um, i mean it is basically a, a witch hunt to some yeah. extent. Like, like it, it literally is. I a feel witch like hunt, there was yes. potentially more poisoning in this affair than there was witchcraft during the witch trials, potentially. But yeah. I mean, there was um, also they do have like using seances, doing black masses, using divinations. Like all of these yeah. things are considered. Oh, you know, this is a yeah. Uh, it's just like every so often we just collectively freak out and kill a bunch of people over it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it basically get like these two cases, um, both of whom, like Madeleine de Lagrange, possibly like has better evidence. Mary Madeleine, Mary Madeleine Marguerite de Bray is just like her boyfriend dobs her in, basically, mm-hmm. um, and everyone's like, oh my god, well a man said it, so it must be true. Um, and um, like who if knows? Only maybe would she become did. wiser in the intervening years. Um, <laughs> And then or then it just, like, because in the same way that, like, the thallium craze, like, these two cases very close together freak everybody out. Um, mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, everybody can see it everywhere. Um, yeah. And these people, you know, these dukes and du- 
duchesses and whatnot are going to places and getting their treatments and getting their potions and lotions and weird shit and love potions so that they can make people fall in love with them and mm-hmm. are they doing you know divination in order to see whether this person likes them or whether that person's going to die and what their future in this business deal is going to be um so it is happening and quite probably that at least a few people were dropping dead with white white arsenic yeah um but i suspect that quite a lot of very innocent people who were just reading tea leaves for for their living were caught up in this um but that is called the affair of the poisons it's Um, very good and is a very good, um, lots of rich people pointing the finger at each other and having, I don't know, like mercury all over their faces while freaking out about <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just painting themselves in lid, yeah. wearing arsenic-dyed clothes. <laughs> Being confused about why they don't feel very well. This is the thing as well about ancient poisoning accusations, is that it's also very easy at this point in time to just eat something that is going to kill you accidentally because we didn't know what we were doing or just you know um i do think this a lot that like particularly people in the aristocracy in say like the early modern period are they are painting their faces with lead and dying there well, they are. They are and they've that. got lead in their and their green lovely green living yeah. rooms and like basically everything that they're doing and putting on themselves is some kind of terrible thing. they must have just felt like shit all the yeah. time <laughs> they must have just felt low-key headachey and like no wonder women were rough. fainting constantly and feeling sorry for themselves and a bit yeah. useless and we got to the point where we had invented indoor plumbing and we made all the pipes out of lead yeah. like-, <laughs> like everybody must have just felt low-key grim all just the time really awful all the time <laughs> And they're mostly drinking alcohol constantly. Yeah. <laughs> God, it must have been rough. I know. I just feel like all the time, any time anybody in any kind of history does anything, uh, particularly if I like, they're probably, you know, Tudor or Stuart or whatever and drowning themselves in poison. I'm like, well done you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> You I probably it. like I am pathetic enough that if I feel like even slightly ill, I'm like I'm dying, um, <laughs> yeah. and I'm not definitely. I'm not even going to do my yoga today because I don't feel like I sneezed once. Yeah, um, I've got a minor headache. Um, I've been <laughs> rubbish. I've just been. I would have been one of those women in like the yellow wallpaper who just lies in a room and. Oh yeah, I would have just been wafted a hand at myself all day and been like, my nerves, my, <laughs> my nerves, exactly. I should put some more lead on my face in order. To- <laughs> Um, uh, yeah yeah uh, so there you go there's um that's poison our favorite poisons from history i did Whoa. consider including like the t- chicago tylenol poisoning and things like that but then they're not as fun they're too recent yeah it, there's a period you know what what is the period of time that has to pass before something is entertaining instead of deeply horrifying like it, five yeah. generations yeah <laughs> Um, I reckon yeah, if Case File or someone would do a podcast on it, it's too recent. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's probably fair. Uh, if a true uh, crime what, podcast would do it, then it's too recent. What are we talking about next time? Next time, um, we are talking about the history of contraception and birth control. Mm. Um, now, this came from an email, and the email was from Jennifer. Um, and she said, my friend has expressed an interest in the history of birth control. Um, 
I don't know the friend's name, so we're just going to call her Jennifer's friend. Jennifer, if you happen to listen to this, do feel free to drop a slide and tell us her name. Um, it says, <laughs> yeah. she has expressed an interest in the history of birth control. In books and movies, uh, sex workers will often mention ways of preventing pregnancy, but they will never explain their methods. So we're going to be talking... We are. I do have to say ahead of time, I'm very grateful for books where they don't explain the methods because the one I've read where they do is Crimson Petal and the White, which is, I believe, Michael Faber. Mm -hmm. It opens with basically the central character douching herself with a listed mix of chemicals that just made me want to clamp my legs shut forever. It's horrifying. That's basically what the next episode is going to be, yep. Um, So (laughs) if you are a person with a vagina and or uterus, uh, then probably brace yourselves because this is going to be as much fun as the one of uh, gynecology and it's going to involve (laughs) a lot of things going up there. Uh, that are both unexpected and ill-advised. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, prepare yourselves, uh, <laughs> vagina havers. Um, where can people find us? Where can people find us? Oh, it's a good thing that we redid this, actually, because... Uh, so oh, yeah, because we had to do a new Twitter account. Was literally the day after we recorded this, our Twitter account got uh, suspended permanently for being a porn <laughs> account. Because <laughs> it had sexy in the title. <laughs> I do think that it should have had to have porn on it for that to apply, but what do I know? I'm not Um, a social media moderator. No, so we got banned permanently. So we are now at History Is Pod. Um, Mm -hmm. So you can uh, can find us there. Um, uh, It is, I'm just going to check that that is exactly what it is. yeah, it's history at history is pod, and I have blocked out the word sexy lest um, we get caught again. <laughs> uh, so you can find us there, and you can ask us questions there. If you ever asked us a question, like in the past couple of months, um, and when I say couple of months, I mean like six months probably on uh, the old sexy history pod, then uh, please feel free to resend it because there's a decent chance I didn't uh, copy it out of the DMs yet. So um, I'm, I've lost definitely lost a few that I couldn't remember. Um, so do please follow us there at History Is Pod and resend us your questions. Yeah, um, yeah. Where, so where else? Where else we're are on, we? We are also on Facebook on at Facebook, Sexy History, yes. uh, Sexy History Pod because they were upfront about their reluctance yeah. to, you know, have the word sex anywhere. Yeah. Um, and you can email us as always at um, sexyhistorypod at gmail.com um, um, I am on Twitter at, at nuclear teeth I am at j9 and if and Oliver who produces and edits is at Kiwa um, and if you want to see our sources if you want to say hi um, then you can find us also at uh it is bit.ly slash support sexy history or ko-fi.com slash his pod um and you can chuck us three quid there if you would buy us a coffee and that helps to pay for our hosting and um the tools that oliver uses and things like that yeah that makes us happy just makes it us does smile. make us happy yeah it's very nice and we appreciate you yeah we do yeah um so until next time when we're gonna make everybody uh, feel uncomfortable Uh, (laughs) bye Janina Bye. bye bye